A reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. What is love? A group of professional people a few years ago proposed this question to children ages 4 to 8, and here's their responses. They're answering the question, what is love? Rebecca, who is 8 years old, said, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis, too. That is love. Nice, huh? Um, Billy, age four, says, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's really good if you think about it. Is so, that is deep. Is, is, the, your name is safe in their mouth. Wow. Uh, another one. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. Uh-huh. 
Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they've known each other so well. <laughs> That's Tammy, age six. Uh-huh. Uh, a couple more. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him home alone all day. Marianne, age four. Uh-huh. And uh, finally, Jessica. You really shouldn't say, I love you, unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. They do. Uh, I've asked some of our young ladies to do something for me. So if you three would come on up right now and bring your little presents. You didn't get arrested or anything, did you? What have you got there? Camellias. Did you notice some of the beautiful camellias coming out right now? Now, I wish everybody could see all these, but... Uh, We've got several. I would like you to leave one with me and then take one, with your, take one back to the seat with you. And I want you to, uh, to dissect these things. Oops, you can only have one, Beth. Thanks. Um, I should have been wearing this. Got a pen? Or... Anyhow, what I want you to do is, is find out how many petals there are in each one you have. So would you just, you can do that while I'm talking. It'll keep you interested. Thanks. <laughs> we'll set those there. Um, Camellias, what's next? Oh, we've been uh, on a theme this year. What is our theme? Become a bridge of love. That is our theme. And uh, we're using that theme to try and help us live the purpose of First Baptist Church. You know the purpose of First Baptist Church, right? It is to, let's say it together, the purpose of First Baptist Church is to make followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God. One more time. The purpose of First Baptist Church is to make followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God. Now, in trying to encourage this theme, build a bridge of love into your life, I I said I'd like for these letters of love to stand for something. So what does the L stand for? Learn. About whom are we to learn? Jesus. Yeah, we're very... Uh, focused here. We're going to learn about Jesus. Okay, what's the O stand for? Obey. Obey. Who are we going to obey? The pastor, right? (laughs) Who are we obeying? Jesus. And as we learn, we need to then put it into practice. And I made the comment yesterday that all of us, or last Sunday, all of us are educated beyond our obedience. Would you turn to your neighbor and remind them, just say, you know, you're educated beyond your obedience. Uh Uh-huh. There's a quote in there that helps us in this issue, and um, the quote is, "All, All the good that you will do will come not from you, but from the fact that you have allowed yourself, in obedience to faith, to be used by God's love. And um, so I want to encourage you in obedience. And then last Sunday, we looked at the V. What does that stand for? Veritas. How do you spell that? Oh, you're going to be good here. What does it mean? It's a Latin word that means truth. And we're to be, as we learn about Jesus, as we obey Jesus, uh, I, I asked you to somehow adopt a humble attitude to realize we're on the way to learning about truth, but you don't have all the truth. I don't have all the truth, and we need to be truth seekers, but we need to be humble in that process. We're learners. 
And we're trying to understand what is the truth. And so we talked about that. Now, today I want to talk about the E, and the E is going to stand for embrace, which is another way to talk about love, embrace. Now, what are we to embrace? Well, I'm going to say, uh, you could go on and on with this, and there's no magic in, in what I'm saying. You can add to it or, or put something else up. But first of all, embrace the truth that you can serve God. And I hope that as we talk about this theme, it gets so embedded in your soul that on Wednesday at 3 o'clock, all of a sudden something's going to click in your head as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says to you, you know, in this situation, you could be a bridge of love. And then you need to embrace that. That's exactly what happened to me when I went to L.A. County a few weeks ago and began to visit this young man and pray with him. I realized, Steve, here's a, a rather unique opportunity to reach out to a family that I had never met before seeing at USC. And I said, I just, I think God's calling me to invest some time here. And so we need to be sensitive, and you can serve the Lord. That's the truth. So embrace the truth that you can serve God. Embrace opportunities to become a bridge of love. Be willing to embrace the opportunities God gives you. And then embrace love. We don't always embrace love. And we're going to really emphasize that. <clears throat> a, uh, about a month ago, Jackie Waldron sent me a book. And she, she sent me a couple books. And she said to me, Steve, this book has been very helpful to me as I uh, go through this grief process. For those of you visiting, Jackie's husband passed away uh, in 2006. And the book is called From Morning to Dancing, and it's by a Catholic priest, Henry Nouwen. And in that book, he has different movements. And in one of the chapters, he talks about we need to move from manipulation to love. Could you just groan with me? I'm going to say it again, and then you respond, okay? We need to move from manipulation to love. Oh. Now, you never manipulate anybody in the name of love, do you? No. A woman wants love, and so she says, I'll give you sex. The man wants sex, and he says, I'll give you love. No manipulation there, is there? Just a deal. And as you think about our lives, and so much of what we do in the name of love oftentimes comes under other categories. We're trying to control someone. We're trying to get something back. Pastors have this problem. It's a huge problem. So we're trying to move as we seek the truth and embrace love to, from manipulation to love. And uh, in that effort, Henry Nowen in this book talks about compassion. And you see in your notes that I put it C-O-M slash passion. Now, often when I think of passion, I think of somebody with a lot of zeal, a lot of energy. You know, you want to enter into something with passion. Don't just stand up there, Steve, and act like you don't care what you're saying. Have some passion. You, you know about passion, right? But the real meaning of the word passion, what is the meaning of the word passion? In a few weeks, we're going to come up to the passion of Christ. What's that about? It's not about his enthusiasm, is it? What? It's about his suffering. That's right. And we talk about passion plays, which emphasize the suffering of Christ. So when we look at the word compassion, what does it mean? It means to suffer with. Well, who wants to do that? That's no fun, is it? We want to love and feel good and feel warm and fuzzy, right? But this idea of compassion actually has this idea of suffering. And so in your outline there, you have this quote from Henry Nouwen in that book, From Morning to Dancing. He says this, Compassion, understood this way, asks more from us than a mere stirring of pity or a sympathetic word. 
To live with compassion means to enter another's dark moment. It is to walk into places of pain, not to flinch or look away when another agonizes. It means to stay where people suffer. Now, I've often thought this, that as a pastor, I go to hospitals or I go up to the convalescent home and visit Sarah, and I've often thought one of the reasons that we, us, you and me, we folks don't like to go there, why is that? It reminds us what might happen to us. Why do I want to go into a hospital where everybody's sick? It reminds me I might get sick. Or to see the folks in the wheelchairs up at Camellia Gardens, why would I want to do that? Because it reminds me of the suffering of the world, and of course, I really don't want to suffer. And so this morning, as we think about becoming bridges of love, we have to think about this word compassion and the idea that when I truly love someone, I'm willing to enter into their suffering. And I lift that up. Now, I'd like you to, to uh, do something with your hands here. I was going to have this do this with each other, but that would be way too intimidating. I mean, we're Christians, but we're not that Christian, are we, to really hold hands with somebody. Uh, so to hold hands with yourself. Sorry for the little sidebar. Um, this is much more American, right? So grab any way you want. Put your fingers together like this and just get them all intertwined. And I want, and again, this is coming out of Henry Nouwen's book. He talks about this is a way of thinking about relationships. And when you're all bound up like this, this is really not a very healthy way to be in relationship. And he talks about the fact that if, you're, if you squeeze as tight as you can and try to pull apart, there's going to be friction and even pain. And when, we get, when we're involved in manipulating rather than loving, and when we get entangled and enmeshed in people, we call that codependency sometimes, when these things happen to us, it's like this. And you see, the, ah, the graphic didn't come out, sorry. Um, but anyhow, it's, it's a picture of hands all tangled up. And that can stand for really unhealthy relationships. How are we supposed to be to, with people? Well, put your hands like this. And when we're like this, we're clinging and we're hanging on and it's painful. When we're like this, both people can move. It's prayerful. It's pointed to God. It allows for movement. It's not controlling or binding or clinging. And so that's another way to think about this issue of love or compassion. How am I with another person? And the, the symbol would be to be with them like this and not like this. And so that's helpful as we think about this issue of compassion. Now, we read from 1 th- Corinthians chapter 13 a moment ago, and uh, I realize some of us would be nervous if we didn't have an outline today. So here's an outline. Uh, hang on, because it's going to be a fast outline. Of course, it has to start with V. So ch- in chapter 13, and if you would like to turn... Good. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, page 175, and uh, I want to give you this outline, and it breaks, 1 Corinthians 13 breaks nicely into three sections, verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, we could call that the value of love. By the way, um, if you're a Bible student, and don't feel bad if you don't know who this is, but anybody heard of G. Campbell Morgan? All of us who have studied the Bible, his commentaries are still printed. He was a famous preacher in England. Do you know he preached right here? About fell over. 
in 1927, I think it was, or 29, something like that, he actually preached several times, many times at First Baptist Church. He would come here from England, and I got a bulletin that said January 2nd, I think it was 1927, he was going to give many lectures, and he preached for several days here. They had like a Bible conference, and he preached. It was kind of cool. Uh, anyhow, this is his outline. I wasn't here then, but uh, this is his outline. He talks about verses 1 through 3, the value of love. And you can see there as you look through those verses, if I speak with the tongues of mortals or angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Though you have prophetic powers, though you understand all mysteries, uh, it's, it goes on to say, even if you gave your body to be burned like a martyr, but you don't do it in love, it's what? It's a zero. And I like to say, without love, you're not a hero, you're a zero. And so that's the value of love, verses 1, 2, and 3. Then uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan says, verses 4 through 8, are the virtue of love. The virtue of love. And as you look at this chapter, this is really the heart of the chapter. Do you want to know what love is? Read this section. Read these verses. The old Phillips paraphrase says this, Love has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantage. Ha-ha does not pursue selfish advantage. That would be manipulation. And we all do it to some degree. And then it says this, it is not touchy. Are you touchy? I don't mean you reach out and touch somebody all the time. I mean, are you touchy? You're sort of fussy about what happens. You you know about being touchy? That's just a great rendering. Love is not touchy. It does not keep an account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it is glad with all good that... Uh, with all good people when they prevail. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. In fact, it is the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. Or as the Scripture says, love never fails. Um, I don't know whether you'll appreciate this or not. Hopefully you're a computer person. But here's a so-called dialogue that came up. A customer service represented representative answered the phone and said, yes, ma'am, how can I help you today? And the customer with her computer said this, well, after much consideration, I've decided to install love. Can you help me with the process? Certainly, the representative said, I can help you. Are you ready to proceed? Yes, I'm ready. I'm not very technical. What do I do first? Well, the representative said, the first step is you open your heart. Have you located your heart, ma'am? The customer said, yes, I have, but there are several other programs running right now. Is it okay to install love while these other programs are running? Well, what programs are running? Well, let's see. I have past-hurt.exe. I have low-esteem.exe. Grudge.exe and resentment.com are all running right now. No problem, said the representative. Love will gradually erase past-hurt.exe from the current operating system. However, it may remain permanently in your memory, but it will no longer disrupt other programs. Love will eventually overwrite low-esteem.exe with a module of its own called high-esteem. However, you have to completely turn off grudge.exe and resentment.com. Those programs prevent love from being properly installed. Have you turned off those programs, ma'am? I don't know how to turn them off. Can you help me? My pleasure. Go to your start menu and invoke forgiveness.exe. 
do this as many times as necessary until grudge.exe and resentment.com are gone. Okay, done. Love has started installing itself automatically. Is that normal? Yes, it is. You should receive a message that says it will reinstall, reinstall for the life of your heart. Do you see that message? Customer, yes, I do. Is it completely installed? Yes, it is completely installed. But remember, you have only the base program. You need to begin connecting to other hearts to get the full upgrade. And then it goes on and on. And the last section says the customer representative, the customer asks the representative, what's your name, by the way? Well, you can call me divine cardiologist or also the great physician, but most people call me God. Most people feel all they need is an annual checkup to stay heart healthy. But the manufacturer suggests a schedule of daily manufacturing, uh, daily maintenance for maximum efficiency. Put another way, keep in touch. Anyhow. The value of love. Read that second section within 1 Corinthians 13. And then the lastly, Dr. Morgan says, the victory of love. And as you go through this last section, verses 8, 9 through the end, uh, that's where Paul says, you know, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, but a- as I grew up, I put away childish things. And then he concludes by saying there are three great gifts, faith, hope, and love, but love is the greatest. Love is the final victory. And so I want to encourage you uh, as we think about love and becoming a bridge of love, how will you become a bridge of love? Now, as I began to study early in this week on, on 1 Corinthians 13, I found that I had page after page of notes, so that was very helpful. As I read some of those notes, one scholar said, you know, I scarcely touched this because he said, when you come to 1 Corinthians 13, it's like clumsy hands holding a masterpiece. I said, that's, that's good. And then I went to uh, the Internet, and I went on the Preaching Journal website, and I looked through their history. And do you realize that that magazine's been out since 1995? They publish every two months. And since 1995, they've never had one sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. Is that amazing? There were lots of sermons on love there, but none on this chapter. And the more I went through it, I thought, we could do a word study of a lot of these words. But, uh, ladies, why don't you come back up here with your flowers? Are you ready? They're going to give us this report of how many petals are in the uh, camellias. These are beautiful, aren't they? I mean, we, whoops, falling apart on me. Camellias frustrate me. I'd like to have them in my office, but I don't know how you cut them. You know, there's no stem on them. What do you do? Okay. How many petals did you find in that flower? Seventeen. Seventeen. Twelve. Twelve? Thirteen. Thirteen. And what about these little things sticking up? Did you count them? No. How many do you think there are? A lot. A lot. Yeah. So, twelve? Thirteen, twelve, and seventeen. Okay. Thank you very much. Give them a round of applause. Now, before you leave, whoops, you can have your flowers back. Before you leave, I want to say there are lots of ways to look at a flower. In fact, if these young ladies had a microscope, they could even uh, put it under a microscope and begin to study it. They could measure it to see how big or small the petals are. Uh, they could take these apart and start counting, you know, the center section there. There are lots of ways to study a flower. But um, if you were going to take a flower home, would you rather have this flower or this flower? I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Okay, thanks. Uh, sure, you can get your flowers back. Uh, Thank you very much for helping out.
But as we come to 1 Corinthians 13, there, there are lots of ways to address Scripture. And it's certainly appropriate at times to go look up the words and go word by word and see how else it's used and kind of break it apart. But there's some disadvantage to that, isn't there? And this morning, as we center around the Word of God, this is the most wonderful chapter in the Bible on love. It helps us understand what love is and what love does. And as you read that, it is like holding a masterpiece. And this morning, I don't want to do to this chapter what we did to those flowers. In fact, I encourage you, if you want, after you get your cup of coffee, just walk out to the side and and gaze at those flowers. wouldn't be a bad idea to just study them for a while by looking at them, because that's another way to appreciate their beauty. And so this morning, what do we do about 1 Corinthians 13? Well, uh, you might memorize it. In fact, uh, when I was at the Stony Brook School for Boys, we were required to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. So you could memorize it. You might say, you know, in the month of February, the love month, I'm going to read it every day, so I would read it for 28 days. Or you might read it longer than that. And I think if you did that, it's going to help you become a bridge of love as that saturates your soul. Or you could pray over it. In fact, you could pray 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, you might picture someone you love as you prayed it and just have that one person on your mind as you read through the Scripture and prayed it. Or even more, you might think about your enemy and read that Scripture, somebody that really bugs you, and then read 1 Corinthians 13 and pray over it. Uh, There are lots of ways you can read 1 Corinthians 13, And uh, I encourage you to do that in the coming days. Now, one time Joyce and I lived at a place that had a community spa, and it was right up against the mountain outside, and there was nothing I loved more than on a cold winter day to walk over to where the spa was, steam coming off of it, and the colder the better, the colder it was outside, the better it was to slip into that spa. It was so hot I got in slowly. To slip into that spa and just soak and relax and gaze at the mountain. If it was a cloudy, rainy day, that was even better because it was such a contrast in the warmth of that spa and the beauty of the mountain and the clouds and the wind and all that stuff. And this morning, I'd like to suggest that you look at 1 Corinthians 13 kind of like a spa. You just slip into it and enjoy it and soak it up. And as you get out, maybe some of the water will splash off on other people as you live your life to become a bridge of love. Let me read this story to you in conclusion. It was a bitter cold evening in northern Virginia many years ago. The old man's beard was glazed by winter's frost while he waited for a ride across the river. The wait seemed endless. His body became numb and stiff from the frigid north wind. He heard the faint, steady rhythm of approaching hooves galloping along the frozen path. Anxiously, he watched as several horsemen rounded the bend. He let the first one pass by without an effort to get his attention. Then another passed by, then another. Finally, the last rider neared the spot where the old man sat like a snow statue. As the one drew near, the old man caught the rider's eye and said, Sir, would you mind giving an old man a ride across the other side? There doesn't appear to be passageway by foot. Reining in his horse, the rider replied, Sure thing, hop on board. Seeing that the old man was unable to lift his half-frozen body from the ground, the horseman dismounted and helped the old man onto the horse. The horseman took the old man just not only across the river, but to his destination, which was a few miles away. 
As they neared the tiny but cozy cottage, the horseman's curiosity caused him to inquire. Sir, I notice that you let several riders pass by without making any effort to secure a ride. I'm curious, why on such a bitter winter night would you wait and ask the last rider? What if, he, what if I had refused you and left you there? The old man lowered himself slowly down from the horse. Looking the rider straight in the eye, he replied, I've been around these parts for some time now, and I reckon I know people pretty good. The old-timer continued, I looked into the eyes of the other riders and immediately saw there was no concern for my situation. It would have been useless to ask them for a ride. But when I looked into your eyes, kindness and compassion were evident. I knew then and there that your gentle spirit would welcome the opportunity to give me assistance in my time of need. Those heartwarming comments touched the horseman very deeply. I'm most grateful for what you said, he responded. May I never get too busy in my own affairs that I fail to respond to the needs of others with kindness and compassion. And with that, Thomas Jefferson turned his horse around and rode back to the White House. Great story of a person become a bridge of love. And I believe that for you as we go forth that God will use us as we're as we have opportunity to become bridges of love this week. I'd like for us to read 1 Corinthians 13, a selected section of it, uh, to remind us of God's call to become a bridge of love and what that means. Read with me, please. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give my all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails.